in a lot of settings, the concept of kids getting to play is considered entirely positive. There are play dates to help them socialize. They play make-believe to grow their imaginations. They play sports. They play tuba. But playing video games, that gets all controversial, where the arguments tend to go in two directions. Either that gaming is mostly bad for you, it's addictive, it is sedentary, and it is not especially educational. But others say, oh, really, if you think that, then you don't know how far games have come, how socially productive they can be, how some research shows that there are benefits to a variety of cognitive skills, actually making gamers in some ways smarter than everybody else. So which is it? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Video games will make us smarter. I'm John Donvan. I stand between two teams of two experts in the topic who will argue for and against the motion. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York will vote to choose the winner. And if all goes well, civil discourse will also win here tonight. The motion again, video games will make us smarter. Let's meet our debaters. Please first, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Daphne Bavalier. Hi, Daphne. Uh, You're a professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of Geneva, a co-founding advisor to Akili Interactive. You have a great TED Talk that I highly recommend. Um, And your research does suggest that video games, games like Call of Duty, actually can have lasting cognitive benefits. So knowing all of that, does that mean that you yourself are a gamer? Funny you should ask, John, right? Um, I hope I'm not going to disappoint too many of you, but I'm really not a gamer. And I must share, it's worse than that. I had this gut feeling finding one of my kids in front (laughs) of the console and thinking, oh, God, don't you have something better to do? And You feel better now that you've done all the research that... uh Tells you it was okay. We'll get to that, yeah. Oh, we'll get to it. Okay. That's a great answer. Tell us, please, who your partner is. So my partner is Asi Burak, is one of um, the fierce leader of Game for Change. This let, me, is... let me explain what that is. Welcome, Asi Burak. Thank you. That's right. Um, as Daphne said, you're chairman of Games for Change. You're also CEO of PowerPlay, one of the creators of a game called Peacemaker. And this was a strategy, is a strategy game in which players can choose to play either the leader of Israel or the leader of the Palestinian Authority, and they try to figure out what happens between... We've had some interesting things happen on this stage between those two sides, but does anybody playing this game actually win? (laughs) So we thought about it a lot, and we decided the game is going to be winnable. Uh, you can win the game, although it's very frustrating at the beginning. So many players ask the same question of us. Thanks very much. Again, the team arguing for the motion. And now let's meet the team arguing against the motion. Please welcome first Elias Abujadeh. Elias, hi. You are a professor of psychiatry and director of the Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Clinic and the Impulse Control Disorders Clinic at Stanford. Uh, You wrote a book called Virtually You, The Dangerous Powers of the E-Personality, in which you do sound a strong note of caution about the digital world. Given your point of view and your expertise on this, do you consciously limit your time spent online? I do, when I'm conscious of it. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us, please, who your partner is. Uh, I'm happy to introduce Dr. Walter Boot. Ladies and gentlemen, Walter Wally Boot. 
Uh, you've asked us to call us Wally, so we will move forward that way. You are indeed a professor of psychology at Florida State. You direct its attention and training lab. Um, same field as uh, your opponent, Daphne. You investigate the effects of video games on cognition. At the moment, you don't think that video games do much to improve brain function. Is there anything that, that does? Well, there's one activity right now with fairly good support behind it um, that actually improves brain function. Unfortunately, no one wants to do it. Aerobic exercise. <laughs> aerobic exercise. I can see everybody in the whole hall standing up now and doing jumping jacks. Not really. The team arguing against the motion, ladies and gentlemen. And that motion is video games will make us smarter. As I said, we go in three rounds. We're going to move directly into round one, here making his argument in support of the motion, and you can make your way to the lectern. Asi Burak, chairman of Games for Change and co-author of the book Power Play, How Video Games Can Save the World. Ladies and gentlemen, Asi Burak. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to uh, uh, argue today for something I'm very passionate about, which is the power of video games for good. And I want to start with a personal story. Actually, you helped me by uh, setting up the peacemaker story. Um, I came from Israel 12 years ago, and I lived uh, in the United States since then. I came to Carnegie Mellon, and I came after serving in the Israeli army for five years. I was a captain in the Israeli army. And the first project I took upon myself out of my passion for design and technology is to make a game about the Middle East. Together with a group of students at Carnegie Mellon, we made a game that simulates the Middle East conflict in a very realistic way. We actually used real-world footage in the game. And it was a lot about different perspectives because you could actually play either side. It was also about our goal to generate empathy. The idea that if someone would play the other side, he would understand better the situation. And uh, we got a lot of coverage in the media. We got a lot of community support and uh, NGOs that embraced the game. And we had politicians that played it and lost in five minutes. (laughs) And um, something that surprised us through the process was that we started hearing the same quote over and over again. I played your game for two hours. And now I understand the Middle East conflict better than watching the news for two years. When we watch those hours and hours about the Middle East on TV, or about Iraq for that, for that matter, we are watching a stream of linear events. We're very passive, and those events are isolated, and they don't necessarily come together to a big picture. What happened with Peacemaker was that you made the decisions. You are the leader, you are in the position of power, you take an action, you see the consequence. But it's not about only about what you do, it's also about the other stakeholders in the conflict. So people didn't only get smarter, they actually uh, got an understanding of a very complex issue through Peacemaker. This is not a debate that we want to do around all games makes us smarter. We are great believers in the power of design and the purpose. We want to argue that video games are an incredible learning tool with tons of potential. I want to unpack the learning uh, potential for a second. Number one, better understanding of complex issues and complex systems. This is what we did with Peacemaker at the time. Number two is make players, especially young players, better equipped for the 21st century um, playfield. And we're talking about 21st century skills, 
things like entrepreneurship, collaboration, problem solving, system thinking. We're not going to ignore risks. Daphne and I will be the first to admit that our risk, especially if you play video games in excess, but we want to also talk about ways to address it. I, I want you to vote yes, that games are a great learning tool with tons of potential. In that sense, they have the potential to make us smarter. Thank you. Thank you, Asi Barak. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Elias Abujaudeh, clinical professor of psychiatry and director of the Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Clinic at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, Elias Abujaudeh. Thank you very much, John. Thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, it's hard to talk about uh, psychological damages from technology without sounding seriously behind the times. After all, when TV first came around, people thought it would spell the end of civilization, even before TV. When movies, the radio, novels in the 18th century first happened, there were naysayers who predicted worst possible scenario outcomes. But I do think that the Internet and related technologies are different. Video games talk back to you. They reward you. They punish you. They're much more lifelike. And for that reason, they're easier to confuse with life itself and easier to get lost in and hooked on. We know that these technologies can operate on the same pathways in the brain as substances of abuse and some addictive behaviors like gambling. We know that, some, that for some people, tolerance can set in, which is the need to play more and more of the same game to achieve the same kind of effect. Or withdrawal, which is this uncomfortable psychological, sometimes physical state that a person feels when they try to, uh, to log off. Because of all this data, over a couple of decades now, the American Psychiatric Association has included internet gaming disorder as a condition for further research in its last uh, edition of the DSM. Now, there are many definitions for intelligence, the topic of our, uh, of our debate tonight, but I think we can all agree that intimately linked to cognition are activities and functions such as attention, reading, writing, memory. And in all these, uh, in all these spheres, technology has had uh, an impact that's not necessarily positive. When it comes to attention, there are higher rates of attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder uh, being diagnosed. And a corollary to that is a huge increase in the number of, of prescriptions for stimulants that are being uh, given by, by psychiatrists and mental health professionals. And people have connected that to the pervasiveness of uh, some of the digital technologies that we're talking about. We write online and in our texting platforms in a way that's very different from the language that we uh, learn to write. Uh, somehow we think that we can condense a complicated argument into a 140-character tweet, for instance. Memory has been similarly transformed. I work with medical students who constantly ask me, without any hint of irony, why is it that they have to memorize anything anymore when whatever nugget of information they're after, a treatment algorithm, a complicated medication name, dosage range, it's never further away than a click of, of a button on, on, on their cell phone. So um, whether it's attention, memory, writing, reading, all these things have been transformed, which is why when a statement such as the one we're debating 
tonight, that video games are actually making us more intelligent. For us to support a statement like that, the quality of the research has to be beyond reproach because there's so much at stake. And simply, the studies aren't there yet. They're too small, too short-term, too non-representative of the totality of humanity currently online for this statement uh, to be accurate. So for that reason, I urge you to vote no on the motion. Thank you very much. Thank you, Elias Abuzaudi. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, video games will make us smarter. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, here to debate in support of the motion, Daphne Bavalier, a professor at the University of Geneva, where she directs a cognitive neuroscience research team. Ladies and gentlemen, Daphne Bavalier. I'm glad to see so many of you tonight. Um, So you heard, I'm not a gamer. Video games have actually earned my respect in the context of my work as a scientist. I'm studying brain plasticity and learning. That is, I'm studying how the brain adapts and reorganizes in the face of changes in experience. Now, it's in, in this context that a young undergraduate, Sean Green, and myself made a chance discovery. Um, what happened is that we had a number of computerized tests of attention in the lab, and we noticed that Sean and his friends were really, really good at those tests. These are kind of computerized where's Waldo test. And as it happens, we realized that Sean and his friends were all part of the same video game club at the University of Rochester here in upstate New York. It was in year 2000. So those guys were meeting three or four times a week to play first-person or third-person shooter game, Call of Duty, Medal of Honor. And um, we wondered, could it be the case that playing such mind-nubbing games had such profound effects on something we all value, which is attentional control, this ability that we have to focus on the task at hand and to ignore sources of distraction. The first finding um, that I want to report is that when we look at those people that decide to play those action games versus people that don't play, we do see benefits in cognition. We do see benefits in attentional control like Sean and his friends show. These are moderate effect sizes um, that are quite significant. Now, I know some of you in the audience are going to say, oh boy, like, what kind of news are you giving us? What do I tell my kids if they come to me and say, look, mom and dad, Professor Bavelier said I can play as much as I want because it's good for my brains. So I have good news for you, those of you parents. What you should tell your kid is to go and read the methods section of our papers. Okay, 
granted, it's a little bit difficult. But really, learning with video games is not different than learning with any other media. That means small distributed practice. So what we recommend to get the effects that we see is about 30 minutes per day, four to five days a week, for a period of about 10 to 12 weeks. And this way, you can see durable changes are still there like a few months later. Now, I'd like to just close by making you realize I just took a very, very deep dive into my area of research. But there is many other like uh, researchers that are working on how we can leverage the power of video games for the better. There's new journals like Game for Health that have been created. There's a lot of American campuses that are creating new gaming departments where the best and the brightest students are actually flocking. And we need that because, as Azzy said, designing games uh, for change, for impact, is actually a difficult challenge. Um, we shouldn't turn our back on the problems, but we should certainly leverage uh, the media for what it has to offer in terms of being um, a facilitator of teaching and learning, a preparation for future learning, some of my colleagues like to say, and that it's in this sense that video games will make us smarter. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you, Daphne Duvalier. And we have one more debater to go in the opening round, now making his way to the lectern, uh, Wally Boot. He is an associate professor of psychology at Florida State University and director of its attention and training lab. Ladies and gentlemen, Wally Boot. Thank you. So we like to think and often readily believe that the things we enjoy are good for us. Chocolate? Sure, I could believe that. Red wine? Even better. And now it's a popular notion that video games are good for us. They can improve our perceptual and cognitive abilities in fundamental and meaningful ways. Consumers spend millions of dollars each year on brain training video games. Why? Because they're ready to believe that the games will make them smarter, and companies are all too happy to capitalize on this belief. But maybe they're right. Maybe the games can make us smarter. Maybe the companies can make good on the promise of reversing uh, age-related cognitive decline. But what does the evidence show? Are they right? In 2014, a group of over 70 scientists um, with expertise in learning, skill acquisition, and neuroscience published a consensus statement led by teams at Stanford and the Max Planck Institute. This consensus statement concluded that brain games do not provide a scientifically grounded way to improve cognitive functioning or to reverse cognitive uh, decline associated with aging. So, in a sense, video games do not make us smarter. This consensus is consistent with over a century of research on how we learn. Video game effects depend on the assumption of broad transfer training, that training on one task, in this case a video game, can improve your performance of other tasks that you were not trained on. This is consistent with the now outdated notion that Latin training can improve your performance of other subjects. However, the most consistent pattern in the scientific literature is that this simply isn't the case. Training improves your performance of the tasks that you were trained on, and perhaps very similar tasks, but benefits do not generalize beyond that, and it's unclear why video games would be an exception to this general rule. So what evidence do the video game proponents cite to support their claims? Some studies compare the cognitive abilities of gamers to non-gamers and conclude that video games make you smarter. Well, maybe, but that's not convincing evidence. It's like comparing basketball players to non-basketball players and concluding that basketball makes you taller. 
Taller people are more likely to play basketball, just as people with very good perceptual and cognitive abilities may be drawn to the games that utilize those abilities. Recently, a number of colleagues and I conducted a comprehensive review of the evidence that interventions, including interventions involving commercial and custom video games, can improve cognition. What we found in general was that the evidence was inconsistent, but more importantly, what we found was that studies often utilized inappropriate control groups, inappropriate reporting practices, and also inappropriate statistical approaches that all biased results in favor of finding video game effects. Many studies did not adequately control for placebo effects. Some of the studies that we looked at compared video game training to a group that did nothing. Uh, Doing nothing is unlikely to generate any expectation of improvement. It would be like being in a drug trial and being randomly assigned to a group that didn't receive a drug. Would you expect to improve? Most likely not. People, including myself, enjoy playing video games. Are there benefits beyond that? I'm going to ask you to vote no. I'm going to ask you to be skeptical of companies selling products to improve cognition. I'm going to ask you to be skeptical of effects that are so fundamentally different from how we know learning works. I'm going to ask you to be skeptical and demand better evidence and also better quality studies before concluding that video games can improve IQ or any other abilities. Just as we should be skeptical of get-rich-quick schemes, I also please urge you to be skeptical of get-smart-quick schemes. Thank you. Thank you, Wally Poot. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, video games will make us smarter. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly. The team arguing for the motion, Asi Borak and Daphne Bavalier, have described games as an incredible learning tool with tons of potential, clearly a power for good. They talk about the ability of games to generate empathy, to teach people about reality by connecting the dots. Um, Daphne also talked about her own research, which suggests, she says strongly, that gamers uh, become actually superior to everyone else in certain forms of truly focused intentions. The team arguing against the motion, Walter Boot and Elias Abujade, they actually say that uh, video games are different, that they're not like other media, that they are easier to confuse with life itself because they talk back to you. They talk about problems that develop, addiction, withdrawal, They talk about the impact, the negative impact, they say, correlated with gaming on things like just basic reading and writing, things that take a deep immersion in content, a skill that they say is being lost broadly across the society. They also make the case that that some charlatan companies are making money off of this expectation. We're not going to ask this side to defend that. They're not here to have to defend those companies. And you're raising your hand. Maybe you want to. Well, so... I'm with Wally. I actually signed the Stanford consensus letter because there's been abuse using our research to advance an agenda that was not validated by research. I'm working now at Inkili Interactive. I'm one of their founder and scientific advisor. What we're trying to do to put some clarity is to go for FDA approval. We need to be clearly having done all of the registered randomized controlled trial before we can say okay. this video game has an impact and here it's clinical efficacy. Okay, so you took things in, one, in a direction I wasn't actually going to take it, but since you did, I want to let your opponents respond to it. And I'll, I'll go to Wally Boot to respond to what you just said. No, I completely agree with Daphne. We need these registered clinical trials. We need pre-registration. We need higher standards before we can cl- conclude that video games make us smarter. And my point is that um, we aren't there yet. Oh, when, when the two sides completely agree, we all have to go home for the night. So, good night, everybody.
No, what, what, but, there, but there, there are fault lines in this argument, and one of them has to do with the sense that the problem with games is that they make, how did they put it, they make it, they make it easier to confuse the game with life itself. And it right. sounds like you're, you're all I, 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 for that. Yeah, I actually think it's a great thing that they can simulate life itself. Games are different than uh, most traditional media. Most traditional media is anchored around stories, film, books, etc. There are linear stories with a beginning, middle, and end. Games are systems with rules. So what we did with our game, Peacemaker, and other projects is we took a system. We claimed that the Middle East has logic, uh, you know, at large, and that different stakeholders have different agendas, and we can make a simple model that will be simple enough to be convincing for players to understand the complexity. Now, I can do the same about physics. I can take any system in the world, and, and there are systems all around us, and do the same uh, simulation. Again, the power of design here is important because not everybody can do it. Elias, would you like to join in? I think it's wonderful that there are certain applications that can be pro-peace, but I think a lot more people go online in general and go to video games in particular to play games that are more violent, more aggressive in nature. Uh, and there's intriguing evidence uh, now that... Uh, aggression and violence in video games can potentially lead to future offline aggression. I want to come back to, data to, to that observation, but, I, but is your experience that people are lining up to play a game to make peace in the Middle East? M- much more. Or do you, do you have to kind of so, so much trick more. them into playing? No, no, much more. I mean, the interesting thing is that 10 years ago, when I needed to fight that fight for video games for social cause... It was a nutty idea, right? Completely crazy. Today, it's not true that most games are violent. It's just not true. There are so many games that are about building environments. Look at Minecraft. One of the biggest successes in video games in recent history, it's a game about building creative worlds and environments. One of the other uh, big successes of of, uh, video games in history, The Sims, or SimCity. So... I don't know if, if everybody will go and play Peacemaker, but I know that many okay. people will go and play games that build environments. Let, let me ask Wally Boot, why doesn't that optimism wash over you like a refreshing wave? <laughs> well, I think we're, we're talking about two things. Games to teach specific skills, and I think that's consistent with what we know about how learning works. We can uh, teach you specific things, we can gamify something, but really um, I think there's a tension between what Asi is saying and what uh, Daphne is saying, which is can these things improve your cognitive abilities in a very general ra- way so that um, you're just now smarter or you have better attention or you have other uh, kind of advantages, and I think there's a uh, I would uh, definitely say games, just like a, any other thing, like a good documentary could teach you things or a book can teach you things, games can teach you things. Does that improve your IQ? Does that improve your ability to solve novel problems? I think that's where okay. um, we come down. Daphne? I would not defend that we're going to raise IQ as it's been defined in the literature now. I could see ourselves developing another IQ test that is actually um, showing sensitivity to digital literacy. At the beginning of the 21st century, 
we know that in order to enter the workforce, you need to have digital literacy. This is not something that we measure very well in terms of our intelligence. I want to go back to books, what we lose and what we uh, gain, because um, there are some writings by uh, Plato, and there's a whole debate in uh, Plato, a debate between Phaedrus and Socrates, where Socrates actually laments the fact that the writing system has arrived, that it's going to destroy that oral culture. Guess what? We're going to have to go and look at a book to know what the facts are. And he was perfectly right. We certainly lost some aspects of memories that Elias um, was mentioning, we have gained other things. We have gained reading and writing. It's always like a trade-off uh, when new technologies come in. Elias, not quite, but you were almost being accused of being a Luddite, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what about, I mean, what about that argument that, you know, it's, the, things move on a cycle, a technological cycle, and your, your, whole, the, your complaint about your students needing to use devices to tell them what drug to prescribe rather than having it memorized is, uh, is, is so 1980s and, and, and not relevant anymore. Uh, the other thing that, that we're noticing is that not only are we in the, de- the digital sort of realm, but things within this revolution are moving so quickly. So um, email already feels very antiquated. You know, I can't remember the last time I sent a, a close friend an, an email. It's all about texting. And uh, I, I bring this up to say that things are moving at, at such a pace that it is hard for the science to keep up. Our brains did not necessarily develop in a way to be able to keep up with these technologies either. You know, I mentioned earlier how they operate on specific pathways uh, in the brain involved in addiction, and maybe this is why they're so difficult to resist. You know, when you're driving and you get a text message and you feel absolutely compelled to check it, even though you know it is not an emergency and you know texting and driving is not a good idea, it's because they're activating certain immediate gratification pathways. I don't think anybody else has ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years from now, 25 years from now, and I'll go to you uh, first, uh, Asi. Where should this technology have a place in education and in schools? What's your, what's your vision of its proper place? There is, a, there is a school in New York that I really recommend anyone here in the audience to read about called Quest to Learn. And Quest to Learn was designed by uh, um, a collaboration between teachers and game designers. It's not a school that is only about kids playing games. It's a school that the whole system was designed like the most compelling video game. The idea that you always challenged, but not too much because otherwise it's frustrating. So it always needs to be one step ahead of you um, in a way that is engaging, compelling, making you lean in. To me, if I wanted to see the future of education in 20, 25 years, that's the future of education, that the classroom activity is so engaging that kids would love to go to school. Wally Boot, where do you want to see this technology in 20 years? I would like to see video games as a supplement. Um, I mean, I think this is an important issue. Action video games especially have been uh, promoted to do a lot of things, including curing dyslexia. There are some groups out there that want to push action video game training um, to improve reading ability, but I think that that's absolutely not the way to go. You want to improve reading ability by teaching reading and the skills that are necessary for reading. Um, I think that um, there is certainly a way that we can supplement learning with these games that are targeting very directed skills or very direct 
directed uh, kind of problem-solving skills uh, and mathematical abilities or these types of things. But if it's very directed, we can't expect any kind of off-the-shelf um, action video game to improve reading ability. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your host. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion. Video games will make us smarter. Ma'am, in the red jacket there by the aisle. Yes, thanks. Uh, Good evening. My name is Kathleen. And my question is for all four of you. Uh, Do you not see a danger that using uh, games for education would cause too much of an emphasis on a reactive learner instead of a proactive learner? I see. To me, the the answer to your question is almost the opposite. Because in my mind, most of the learning experiences that our kids have today in school are passive or reactive. They listen to lectures. They read linear textbooks. There's like a right answer and a wrong answer. While in my mind, most of the true learning happens when you understand that issues are a bit more complex than that. There are trade-offs. There's resource management. There's, uh, there's tough choices to make. And I think that good learning games are about tough choices. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with, with your concern. I think I'd like to make an analogy with therapy, uh, because in therapy there's now uh, a big movement to try to kind of displace the therapist and have people go through therapy programs either through you know software or remotely. And study after study has shown that patients just don't engage nearly as much when there isn't this active component to the treatment. Does anybody see a future where most people are spending most of their time in a game situation and, and like that idea? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there was uh, at, in The Guardian, the, uh, Harari, the Yuval author, Harari, yeah. he, wrote a, he wrote a story about a useless class that uh, is going to be engaged with virtual reality video games because they won't have any other thing to do. I'm not crazy about a future like this. I'm more interested in a future where rather than isolation where we are smart enough to add a layer on top of reality that helps us or, um, you know, gets us uh, encouraged to do uh, things faster and better. Um, I'm less excited about a world where you put the the helmet on and you prefer to be there than reality. And what about the other side? Is that world with the helmet on sort of your nightmare scenario of where we're heading? (laughs) I mean, I think our our automatic reflex is often to, you know, upgrade to the next operating system and the newest um, uh, smartphone, etc. I think in order to avoid going in that direction more and more, we have to be more conscious of, of, of how we interact with technology and try more consciously to achieve some kind of balance. Right down front here in the plaid shirt. 
Uh, my name is Jeremy. Um, I wanted to tie this back to this notion of smarter because I feel like when you read and you study literary fiction, for example, or visual art, I think that does make you smarter in a way. It's, it's exposing you to new ideas. It's inspiring your imagination, your creativity. And I do think there are some game designers out there, like Jason Rohrer, whose work has been featured in the Museum of Modern Art, or uh, Jonathan Blow, who has been called the Thomas Pynchon of gaming. I do think there are certain game designers that are elevating game design to an artistic level. Are you open to the idea that as an artistic experience, games have the potential to make us smarter? And if so, is there a way to demonstrate that empirically? Let me take it first to the opponents of the idea of Wally Boot. Video games can be art. Video games can be art in the same way that a play or a movie can be art. Um, I don't know if video games are kind of special in that way. Um, I mean, a good book or a good movie can do the same thing. Um, but I wouldn't argue with the fact that um, people enjoy video games. They provide um, something to them that's valuable and meaningful. Um, does that kind of uh, translate to making them smarter in the way that I think a lot of other people might define smart? Um, I don't think that that's the case, but it can provide a valuable experience. Okay. And Daphne, you want to take that on? Yeah. So actually, as you probably know, the MoMA recently decided to curate video games as piece of arts. And so if you go to the MoMA, there's a whole exhibit. Um, I think there are the Smithsonian also that recently did a retrospective on the history of video games. There's definitively um, video game as a form of art that is being recognized. So if you think that going to the museum, going to the Met, looking at the pyramids, looking at a Picasso makes you smarter, video games have exactly that same potential. Okay. In the green shirt. Hi, my question is to this side uh, for the motion. Is cognitive development in the context of video games a zero-sum quantity in the sense that if you identify one positive effect, have you looked for or identified a corresponding deleterious effect? What an interesting question. That's for you, Daphne. So right now there's an experiment of nature that um, actually the U.S. has accepted to do, which is to put very, very young kids on tablets. Um, this is not just video games. This is all kind of different technology. We have no idea, none, what are the impact on the developmental trajectory of those children? We have decided it was okay. Like, this is a question, we need funding, we need big funding, we need groups of researchers coming together to accelerate that research, because it's a huge worry for people like Elias, Wally, uh, and I, in people that are in science. And I'm just interrupting, because I want to get back to the question, which was, are the skills that are developed at the, as a result of gaming that have been measured uh, paid for at the cost of the loss of some other skill, cognitive skill. Wally Boot, do we know? Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're kind of living that experiment right now. We don't know, but I, I'd like to say time is a zero-sum game. If you're using that time for a video game, you're not using it for something else. So there are, are going to be costs that if you think, for example, that action video games might improve uh, uh, or any type of video game might improve reading ability or might improve working memory so that people with ADHD, children with ADHD can concentrate better in schools, um, and they're playing those video games. They're not doing other things that could potentially be more beneficial for them. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is video games will make us smarter. And now we move on to round three. 
Round three, brief closing statements by each debater in turn. The motion again, video games will make us smarter. Here making her closing statement in support of the motion, Daphne Bivalier, professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Geneva. So I'd like to go back to a personal story. I'm the mom of three uh, children. Actually, they are young adults now. And when they were actually developing in adolescence, I really had the prototypical uh, gender stereotype at home with my son playing action video games and strategy games and my two daughters being much more into texting, into new technologies like you know, social media, um, and a lot of media multitasking, meaning that you check your Facebook page, you do your Instagram, you text at the same time, and you do your math homework. Believe it or not, I've always fought only my girls, uh, based on what I know. First, because um, we shouldn't mix all technologies. There is definitively research coming out suggesting that multimedia tasking, so being switching between different media, which, by the way, Steve Jobs sold to us beautifully as you're going to be more productive, is linked to deficit in attention and attentional control. The other reason why I also been fighting my girls is that, um, and wondering, like, you know, how can I do better? Is that there is really uh, this big um, offer for boys and video games that are potential enhancers of things like, for example, spatial cognition, which is very good for science and technology. And when you look at the video games that girls are attracted to, there are very few games that have those kinds of cognitive benefits. They are much more on the social side. We are glad they are social games, but we would love to see a better ecosystem of games that are preparation for learning in all different domains, for all different gender, for all different background and ethnicity. We are really pushing here and asking you to vote yes for the motion that video games will make us smarter. And since that video games really have amazing learning power, we need to produce those video games. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daphne Bavalier. Here, making his closing statement against the motion, Wally Boot, professor of psychology at Florida State University. So I'd like to make the case that the evidence simply isn't there yet. We don't have the studies with the right control groups, with the right methods, with the right statistical approaches to show us that um, action video games or any other types of video games can really make us smarter or improve general uh, cognitive abilities, and also um, that... Um, when you look at meta-analyses, kind of large uh, kind of overviews of studies, um, oftentimes when you correct for publication bias and other types of methodological flaws, these are fairly small effects that we're seeing. So those are one thing, that's one thing I want to make uh, kind of clear. But also, um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about opportunity cost, which I think is really, really important. If we think about, for example, um, um, your aging parent or a grandparent or just an aging friend trying to improve uh, uh, their cognition, there's going to be an opportunity cost. They're going to be playing games, and if these games aren't improving their cognition, then they're not doing other things. They're not spending times with their children, time with their children or grandchildren. They're not engaging with their community. I think there are costs there. So, um, and they're not doing other things that might be more better uh, for their cognition. It might be better for their cognition, such as aerobic exercise or any other uh, of these types of things. That I think have a lot more evidence for them. Aerobic exercise you can go all the way from the mouse model all the way to the human model. Intervention studies for the animal models. 
you can open up the brain, you can see neuroplasticity, you can see new capillary beds and all these other types of things. We're not there yet for um, action video games or any other type of video games where we have that level of evidence that we can trace what is the active ingredient that's causing all these changes, that's causing such uh, unbelievable effects. So I ask that you consider both the general weakness, I think, of the evidence in the video game literature right now, but also the consequences. If we recommend these things too uh, soon, if we recommend these prematurely um, for interventions for reading, uh, cognitive aging, and other types of uh, issues. Thank you. Thank you, Wally Boot. And the motion again, video games will make us smarter. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Asi Borak, chairman of Games for Change and CEO of PowerPlay. So uh, as you probably uh, saw through the debate, in my personal view, there is an answer to the question, will video games make us smarter? And I would even go beyond that from the um, cases that I've seen, both in practice and research, games could do uh, other things as well if they're well designed and designed for a purpose. Uh, They could make us smarter. In some cases, they could even make us healthier. Uh, They can help us learn about the world and broaden our horizons. Again, well designed and for a purpose, not every game. And this is my main point. If there's one takeaway that uh, I want you to go home with is, is that point of how do we do a better job as parents, educators, players to understand this medium? Because what is a fact that I'm sure you won't be arguing about is that it is a super powerful industry. It's about to, to uh, cross the threshold of $100 billion worldwide, which means that it's bigger than the music industry and the film industry combined. Time of play on a weekly basis worldwide, 7 billion hours. Okay? So to my colleagues, I would say, rather than fight it, fight this amazing phenomena, join it in the sense that your expertise... But it's, it's serious. Your expertise and our expertise could help all the people in the audience and all the people that uh, uh, we'll, we'll interact with understand how to deal with it better rather than ban it or... I mean, it's not going to go away. It's just going to grow stronger. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to vote yes for the motion. I want you to say with us, the video games will make us smarter, but also that we need to be smarter about video games. Thank you. Thank you, Asi Borak. Here making his closing statement against the motion, Elias Abujaude, professor of psychiatry at Stanford Medical School. The best-selling video games of 2016 had titles like Grand Theft Auto, Final Fantasy, and Infinite Warfare. It's hard to imagine how playing these games hours upon hours has raised our average IQ. On the other hand, these games, I think like the internet at large, can nurture some rather negative personality elements, uh, aggression, narcissism, impulsivity being some examples. And for evidence on how online narcissism and impulsivity uh, can lead to offline narcissism and impulsivity, you can find examples from both sides of the aisle from the last election. Um, um, it's not possible to turn the clock back on technology. Uh, this is not something that is feasible nor advisable. Uh, 
yet some of us are trying to achieve some kind of balance between our online and our offline lives. But in trying to achieve that balance, we're faced by two formidable obstacles. The first obstacle we can do nothing about, and it has to do with how our brains are wired. And they're not wired necessarily in a way that makes us able to resist these technologies and to take them in small doses only. But the other obstacle is huge industry interests and huge marketing uh, uh, campaigns. They're trying to convince us that these technologies are actually making us smarter. They're good for us. We should embrace them even more. I'd like to end by bringing up a case of a patient I saw a couple of weeks ago. I'll call him Jeff, a 21-year-old who uh, achieved one of the highest possible scores on a shoot 'em up game. Um, however, he was so consumed by this game that he was failing three of his classes. I think the, the least helpful uh, intervention I can make, the least um, uh, compassionate statement maybe, is to tell him, that I know you're failing, but your processing speed is off the charts. Uh, I think it would be uh, the wrong message to send him, and I think it would be the wrong message to send the culture at large. So I urge you to vote no on the motion. I think it's the most intelligent thing to do. <laughs> Thank you, Elias Abujaudeh. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is video games will make us smarter. There was a lot of um, uh, high risk of agreement between the four of you tonight. <laughs> Um, and, and the reason for that is that you were all willing to concede well-made points by the other side. And I have to say that at Intelligence Squared, we respect that impulse. Um, so I want to congratulate you for that and for the whole style in which you brought this. Okay, so the results are all in now. The motion is this, video games will make us smarter, reminding you that it's the difference between the first vote of the evening when you first arrived and the vote that you cast after hearing all the arguments. It's the difference that chooses the winner, the number whose goes up, the team whose numbers go up the most. Let's look at the results. Before you heard the arguments, 40% of you agreed with the motion that video games will make us smarter. 23% of you disagreed with that. A large 37% were undecided. Let's look at the second vote. In the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, their vote went from 40% to 53%. They picked up 13 percentage points. That is the number to beat. Let's see how the team arguing against them did. Their first vote was 23%. Their second vote was 32%. They picked up nine percentage points, but it's not enough to win. It's the, ar the victory goes, the win goes to the team arguing for the motion. Video games will make us smarter. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Mathau is vice president of programming. Chris Kamakawa is director of editorial operations. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2 US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you. 
and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rhine, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmel. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you to all of you.